Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of To The Point Podcast. So everybody's doing well, coming off a great weekend in the world of sports and hopefully in your in your lives as a whole. And it's Monday, February 13th, and it's a day of weird mixed emotions because I'm excited for today's show. Scratch that, not excited, hate that word, reboot. I am... I'm over the moon, there you go, for today's show. I'm looking forward to talking to all of you about a great game last night, which was, of course, Super Bowl 57 between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. I want to talk to you guys today about the waste management. I want to talk to you about UFC 284, which was a lot of fun last night. But it's a it's a mixed feelings day for me, it always is, because the NFL is over. There are no football games that matter in the National Football League until uh, until September 7th, 2023. And, of course, the old cliche, well, time flies, and it will. We'll see lots of changes. Derek Carr is going to be released in the next couple of days. He'll be moving on to a new team. Does Aaron Rodgers emerge from the darkness as a New York Jet? Does porn star Jimmy end up in Vegas? Lots to be decided. Lots of free agents. Lots of things are going to happen. And thankfully, we got the other sports. The NHL is heading into the home stretch. The NBA just had an amazing trade deadline. We got the NBA All-Star game this weekend. Who can't wait for that? The UFC is in a really good place. I'm loving some of the fights lately and a, a really good card this weekend. But there's nothing like the NFL. There is nothing that scratches my itch when it comes to sports like it. It's it's always there for you. And I, I, I equate it this way. There is no sport, other sport where I look at two teams that I could care less about. And I'm going to go out of my way to make sure I watch that game. For instance... Every Thursday night football game this year, I watched. There were some really bad Thursday night football games. Remember that Washington football team game? Carson Wentz was in at quarterback, and somehow they won, defeating. I'm forgetting now, but I remember that Thursday night game, and it was a whole. Oh, it was the Chicago Bears. Yeah, now I remember it. I watched that Thursday night game. I watched all those Jags early in the season games. I was getting up for Detroit Lions. There's no other sport where you will openly admit that the two teams playing stink, but you'll go out of your way to watch it quite like the NFL. And as much as I enjoy hockey, as much as I enjoy basketball, UFC, golf, you name it, I'm a sports fanatic. There's nothing quite like football. There's nothing that even comes close to me in my personal hierarchy. I'm sorry, but Washington Chicago Bears is like watching Toronto Columbus. And I did not watch Toronto and Columbus on Saturday night. I could care less about Toronto and Columbus. Sorry, Leafs fans. Sorry, Blue Jackets fans. Here's a little plug. Ben Murray will be by on Thursday. My good friend and Columbus Blue Jacket fanatic to talk about them, where they go at the trade deadline, and much more in the sports world. But I don't care about these other sports. I will watch my Sacramento Kings, who were formerly a bad team, now a 
pretty damn good one, third in the Western Conference good. If that means anything to you. Might be second here soon if Memphis doesn't figure it out. But we're done in the NFL season. And, you know, I, I said this to my mother. She She knew the NFL season was over. And yet she still booked this morning a dentist appointment, which is another thing I hate. I hate the dentist. No cavities for the upteenth time. Of course not. Perfect pearly whites. And I don't like going because it's a waste of money and they tell you nothing's wrong and you should floss and I should wear my thing at night, but I can't sleep anyway, so what's the point? And yet the NFL is over. And there's the XFL this weekend with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, another one of my favorite characters in the whole sports landscape. I'll watch the XFL. I'll watch the USFL because it's content, because it's football. But I guess the one silver lining on a gloom Monday that I can throw at all of you is that I remember back in August, I was chatting with you, same audience. And I was excited. There's that damn word again. I was looking forward to the NFL season. I was optimistic. And there was so much football to play. But before it even kicked off, I told all of you that the Kansas City Chiefs, led by the best player in football, Patrick Mahomes, would be winning the Super Bowl in a mere six months. And through all the season, we've seen the ups and downs from the Chiefs. We saw the Buffalo Bills emerge and then submerge quite quickly. We saw DeMar Hamlin nearly die on the field and then come back to life. We saw people ponder if Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Mahomes. We saw the Philadelphia Eagles dominate. And yet, as we get to the end of the season, you can be really happy today if you listen to me and you put a futures bet on the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Because that's what I did back in August and cashed out last night at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern because Patrick Mahomes is now a two-time Super Bowl champion, Andy Andy Reid the same, and I'm a few hundred dollars richer. It's not all about me. But I admit when I'm wrong in this show, and I admit when I'm right, and I told you all a long time ago the Kansas City Chiefs were going to win the Super Bowl. Despite the fact that Tyreek Hill is a Miami Dolphin and said that Mahomes is a little overrated, despite the fact that they didn't have a number one receiver, despite the fact that they don't have a really preeminent defensive player that you think about other than Chris Jones, what the Chiefs did have is the best player in football, the best quarterback, not a debate. If you missed our program Wednesday night, Jason and Adam seemed to question to me if Patrick Mahomes was the best player in football, if he was the best quarterback. And it was just, it made me laugh. It it honestly hurt my soul to have people think there's somebody better than this. There's somebody better in the sport right now. And there isn't. And it was evident last night because Jalen Hurts had one of the best performances in a Super Bowl ever. Tied a Super Bowl record with three rushing touchdowns, which tied the great Terrell Davis. He had 10 incompletions for the game. 
he was dominant. But yet, despite the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles had a 10-point lead at halftime, you have to deal with the Terminator. You have to deal with the best, and that is Patrick Mahomes. The Kansas City Chiefs, to me, the reason they won last night is twofold. And this sounds easy, and this sounds really predictable. But the reason why the Kansas City Chiefs have won two Super Bowl in four years is because of just pure brilliance by Andy Reid. I thought his play design last night was on a completely other level. We saw early in the game that Travis Kelsey was getting open. They were chipping up the line of scrimmage, yet he would still find a way to go. He caught a touchdown pass on the first drive. But the Eagles figured this out. They understood that. But I thought in the second half in particular, the brilliance from Andy Reid really just was on full display. How about the running attack with Jarek McKinnon as a fullback? Jarek McKinnon, who might be 170 pounds. How about him having Juju Smith-Schuster go on a fake wheel route and then move in space, go through the entire progression and find Juju in the middle of the field? How about Kadarius Toney going out, running running a, a quick fade, then you have Juju underneath. He was into his bag of tricks, and Patrick Mahomes delivered every big throw he had to. But there can be times where you look at a game and say, well, this call changed things, or this this player, this, this mess up. No, I think it was the Andy Reid brilliance and the Mahomes' ability to execute the offense at such an elite level determine this game because the Eagles offensively were just as good. They controlled time of possession. Jalen Hurts was running all over the field, design quarterback runs. He was hitting his stride. Devontae Smith, big plays down the field. A.J. Brown, that's why you trade for him. You have that one-two at receiver. Dallas Goddard. But Andy Reid didn't panic. They continued to use their game plan. And to me, the play design was a tad bit more creative, was a tad bit better for the Chiefs than it was for Nick Sirianni, Shane Steichen, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Andy Reid's done this before. He's had to use so many different players. He talked about this week, or I listened to an interview of his on God Bless Football, where he said, you know, I've worked with Donovan McNabb. I've worked with Alex Smith. I've worked with Brett, uh, Aaron, uh, Brett Favre. I work with some of the best quarterbacks of all time. But nobody liked Pat. Nobody liked Pat. And when you have somebody like Patrick Mahomes, it allows you to create a playbook that is virtually endless, that is virtually pages and pages long because he can do anything you ask him to do. Not every quarterback can do that. There are offensive coordinators that are strapped because they look at it and say, I know our quarterback can't do this. We can't execute this play because he just doesn't have that in his 
proverbial bag of tricks. We can't run this. We can't run that play. That our quarterback just simply can't. It's not. It's not in his DNA. It's not part of his offensive mindset. So the play design, the ability to just continue to find ways to create really effective plays, and I mean the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line was phenomenal last night. Patrick Mahomes did not get sacked with Brandon Graham and and Dominican Sue and Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick, who I thought the Steve Spagnola and the just the blocking scheme, Kansas City offense did a really good job at preparing for that. They chipped him a lot. They would double team him. And I thought in the first quarter, he was really getting some momentum. He was starting to feel himself but he got more and more frustrated as the game went along because he wasn't getting to the quarterback. Mahomes would evade him, or they double, triple team him. They'd have tight ends move around, running back chip on the play. And, you know, credit to Creed Humphrey. Credit to Joe Tooney, who battled and limited Hassan Reddick's impact of this game because he had such a phenomenal season. And, yes, he did not get a sack last night. I thought he played decent. It was just that offensive line – did not give in. They played hard the entire game. And Greg Olson pointed this out on the broadcast, and he's absolutely right. I thought he called a great game, by the way. The The Chiefs' offensive line has the toughest job in football because they have to block for Patrick Mahomes. He holds the ball, he holds the ball, holds the ball, and he'll wait until the very last second to make the play. He'll wait, he'll wait, he'll wait, and you think the play's dead, and then he finds a way to – make magic happen. So it was it was a phenomenal phenomenal game. And I don't think there was bad coaching on either side. Now I'll point this out. I remember at the end of the game there's a third and eight and Mahomes throws an incomplete pass. And there's a flag on James Bradbury that basically ends the game. It allows the Chiefs to take a knee and have a chip shot field goal that ended the ball game. They win 38-35. James Bradbury admitted after the game that it was a hold. I would not have thrown the flag because I think it was ticky-tacky. The, the rest were very good last night. They did not really get involved. They allowed the two teams to play. But I'll, I'll put it this way. That did not – Cause that did not choke them out of the game. You have a full 60 minutes to win a football game. Eagles don't allow Kadarius Tony to return the punt inside the five-yard line. Don't allow Patrick Mahomes to have an opening drive touchdown. Don't have a three and out in the fourth quarter. There are opportunities in the game to make up for that call. And you simply didn't. I don't view that as the ultimate game changer because the Eagles would have had to go get a field goal and they'd only gotten seven points in the quarter. Chiefs defense was looking pretty good. They were getting to Jalen Hurts. So that is not the be-all, end-all for me. Yes, would I have thrown the flag? No. And it did not give the Eagles the chance to go back down the field. But the way the Eagles players looked after the game – and I thought the media made a bigger deal to this than anybody because the Eagles didn't look pissed off about it. 
Sirianni didn't really mention it in his post-game press. To me, the Chiefs had the ball last, and they made the, a few extra plays. I don't want to hear about a flag late in the game when you have a 10-point lead at halftime. Close the deal. You're in control. You had an opening drive touchdown to begin the game. Jalen Hurts, don't fumble. Don't have a fumble six on a play. So that's how I look at that predicament there. I don't view it as a, as a flag that cost them the game because there were other opportunities in this game for them to do something, and they just simply didn't. So I don't. to me, it's not, it's not a huge deal. It's not the reason they lost the game, unlike some people that were pointing that out, kind of throwing that as an excuse. I'll say for the Chiefs, I thought Nick Bolton, who had a touchdown last night, had an amazing Super Bowl. He tackled, and that was another key part of the game for the Chiefs. In the first half, they were awful because they couldn't tackle. They were getting juke. You know, Boston Scott was making people miss. You had Devontae Smith in space. He was carving people up. They were just they were tacking, tackling horribly. They had people for easy tackles. They let them go get extra yards, get a first down. Or they miss a tackle, and then it would make a third and one, and they'd just go quarterback sneak every time. And the way it's set up now, it's pretty well impossible to fail. So the Chiefs in the second half began tackling. Nick Bolton was getting guys in, in traffic. Defensive linemen were stopping the running a game, running game for Philadelphia. And... Steve Spagnuolo probably will look at the tape and didn't think his defense had a great game. In the second half, they came to play. Despite the busted coverage on the Devontae Smith catch down the sideline, who Devontae Smith is still my guy, Heisman Trophy winner, Alabama, should have won it. They talked about it was going to be no good in the NFL because he was too small. Okay, had over 100 yards in the Super Bowl. Had over 1,000 yards on the season. One half of the best one-two duo wide receiver in the NFL. So suck on that one, draft scouts. But the, the Chiefs just, they adjusted, and I thought their coaching and tactics were a little bit better than the Eagles in the key moments. And, you know, Andy Reid's been in a lot of Super Bowls. Lost to Tampa. He beat San Francisco. Now he's in one this year. He knows what to expect. This was Sirianni's first, first Super Bowl appearance. Jalen Hurts' his first Super Bowl appearance. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. They had never been in the big game. So I, I credit them for that. And you also got to look at Mahomes, who is the first player to win Super Bowl and regular season MVP in the same season since 1999, which is Kurt Warner. But 24 second-half points. And you look at Mahomes last night. He threw the first touchdown of the game to Kelsey. But after that, the touchdowns are Kadarius Toney, who they acquired in a trade who the New York Giants just gave up on. Kadarius Toney has a receiving touchdown, and he returned that punt inside the five. A massive game-changer. University of Florida alum had a great game for the Chiefs. Isaiah Pacheco. Seventh round pick for the Kansas City Chiefs. He ran hard last night. He runs aggressive. 
They're going to have him on the cheap for a long time. Brock Purdy was a great seventh-round story. So was Isaiah Pacheco. 13 running backs were, were selected before him in the draft. And he comes out on top because he had a rushing touchdown. He had some huge runs in the game that chewed up clock. And that was another thing. You had the Chiefs who used that ran the football last night effectively. They mixed it up. They had a perfect blend, which Andy Reid doesn't always do. They were not afraid to do it last night, and they ran the ball really effectively against that Eagles defense. And the last touchdown I want to point out was Sky Moore, another rookie, a second-round pick, but a guy who had not really been used a whole lot this year. May not have been really in the offense if Valdez Scantling was more involved. May not have been in the game if there was a, they had a receiver who was out with a concussion. So Sky Moore steps up, catch a, catches a touchdown. Kadarius Tony, who they got via trade, who, who the Giants gave up on. Pacheco, a seventh-round pick. I mean, that's who Mahomes was playing with this year. Travis Kelsey was an all-pro and a bunch of guys that were trying to make a name for themselves. Jarek McKinnon cut from the Minnesota Vikings. Valdez Scantling, a guy Aaron Rodgers gave up on, who was huge in the AFC Championship game. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal stuff what the Chiefs accomplished. And Mahomes is clearly hobbled. But to me, it shows you the resolve of the player late in the fourth quarter where he scrambled for 30 yards down the field, getting inside the Philadelphia 20. It was one of the big turning points of the game. He scrambled that late, led to the third and eight later. But the way on that play, the way he scrambled down the field, the way he, he found the space, got the yardage, and he didn't care that his ankle was busted up. He did not care about the pain. He just took off and said, we need this yardage. We can win the game on this drive. And they did. How about Juju Smith-Schuster, who was catching three yards a pass because Ben Roethlisberger can only throw it five in, in Pittsburgh? He was an afterthought. He can't play anymore. He doesn't. He's on a one-year deal, and he was huge last night for Kansas City. Made some big catches, had a huge impact on the game. He will earn a bigger contract next year. It might not be in Kansas City, but I think he earns a, a decent contract for himself because he had a good year and he had a massive Super Bowl. And you might not be that good, but people remember your last product and think, well, you could do that for us. Let's get Juju. He puts us over the top at the receiver position. Buyer beware. But hey, if Juju earns that. He did last night. He balled out in the Super Bowl. But great play, and Mahomes is Mahomes. Second Super Bowl, second MVP this year, second Super Bowl MVP this year, and he's only 27 years old. He's only 27, and he's already accomplished all of this. Playing beat up, playing hurt. I've mentioned this before, but I just – I don't get – the in today's culture why we just clearly we need to jump to say that a person is not the best player in the world i don't know why the fatigue for greatness is so quick Connor mcdavid last year didn't win the heart oh austin matthews is a better player it was a dumb argument then 
Leaf fans jumping on board, people in the media saying it was just it was it was stupid. It was wrong from the beginning. People had to jump on. Mahomes isn't like Burrow's better. Maybe Jalen Hurts is better. Maybe ugh, this guy could be no. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL, and he's a top ten quarterback all time already. Already, he's better than Dan Marino. He's better than John Elway. I have a signed jersey of Dan Marino next to me. One of my father's idols, who he grew up loving. The one time in my father's life where the Dolphins were relevant and good were with Dan Marino. Patrick Mahomes has already had a better career than Dan Marino. Patrick Mahomes is a better, has had a better career than John Elway. John Elway was winning Super Bowls at the tail end of his career because... Quite frankly, because Terrell Davis was one of the best running backs that ever played the game. Shannon Sharp was a Hall of Fame tight end, and they had a really good defense. It's because John, when John Elway was in his prime, he was losing Super Bowls. He was losing to Joe Montana. You look at Mahomes now. Who is he chasing? Bradshaw, who's got four. You got Brady, who's got seven. You got Joe, who's got four. He's in. He's chasing that group now. He's Aikman's got three Super Bowls. Mahomes is a better quarterback than Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman was playing in one of the best systems ever created in Dallas, with Jimmy Johnson as his coach, and with Michael Irvin, who's a Hall of Famer, and with Emmett Smith, who's a Hall of Famer, and Larry Allen at the offensive line, who's a Hall of Famer. Not to mention Prime Darren Woodson, who's a fringe Hall of Famer. I don't – when did we ever think – is it because Tom Brady is – we just want somebody to n never catch Tom Brady? Is that the, the thinking here? I don't understand why the thought was somebody is better than this guy. Do you watch? Is, is Do these people watch the games? Oh, Joe Burrow is the best pure quarterback. I don't, what's pure quarterback mean? Does he win? He's been to one Super Bowl. He lost. Patrick Mahomes 2-1 in the Super Bowl so far. His only loss in the Super Bowl is to the GOAT, Tom Brady. And Patrick Mahomes is only 27. I don't think he'll have seven Super Bowls when he retires. I don't think he'll ever match that. I don't think any quarterback will ever match seven Super Bowls. That's iconic. That's dynasty stuff. That's so hard to accomplish. But do I think he can have three or four? Absolutely. And I also think, you know, he's one, two. You get put in that category no matter what. Dan Marino, who's never won any, is still looked at as a top five, top six quarterback of all time. He didn't win a Super Bowl. Drew Brees won one. I think Dan Marino is a better quarterback than Drew Brees. Drew Brees played with Sean Payton. I think he's, you know, he threw for a ton of yards, but... Marino, if he was on a better team with better players, more competent ownership, I think he'd have a Super Bowl or two. John Elway got some better players in Denver. He won two at the tail end of his career.
nobody talks about the best player in baseball because who knows who the hell it is. Not enough people care about baseball to really have that argument. It was Mike Trout forever. Who is it now? Is it Choi Otani? Is it Bryce Harper? Mookie Betts? Who is it? We don't know. NBA? LeBron James forever? Nikola Jokic? Again, when there's somebody you want to knock them off that mantle, I think with every game that he plays, Patrick Mahomes just shuts that narrative up. And this was a quote-unquote rebuilding year. Your team got worse on paper and you win the Super Bowl. Tyreek Hill, one of the best receivers in football, goes to South Beach. He plays with a quote-unquote better quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa, and they lose in the first playoff game. He got his money. I'm sure he's happy. I'd rather live in Miami than Kansas City. No debate there. Give my right testicle to be in Miami right now. Or Arizona, for that matter. After Super Bowl week, after the waste management, I would still give a testicle to be in Arizona for the rest of the year. I would. I only need one. Well, you know. So... Just greatness. It's so. Sports is a game of inches. And it's so clear in, in this game because you have Patrick Mahomes, who's great, and Jalen Hurts was fantastic last night. And Jalen Hurts this entire year has proven that he's one of the best quarterbacks in football. He continues to prove it. When did, to think in this Super Bowl. He comes in this year, people are like, I don't think he's a starting quarterback, quite frankly. I don't know how, Jalen Hurts, how good Jalen Hurts is going to be. And he goes out this season, finishes second in MVP voting. Finishes second in MVP voting last night, oddly enough, to the same player. Had the same record as Patrick Mahomes, 16-3. and three. Same amount of points scored. But the way he, I thought he would, I, I said last week, and this turned out to be true as well. It's a good day for me, I'm being right. The cool, calm, and collected nature of Jalen Hurts was so evident last night. He was never flustered in that game. He was cool, calm. He delivered the ball crisp. That throw down the field to A.J. Brown for that touchdown was a beauty. Founding Devontae Smith down the field. I just thought he controlled the offense. For my liking, I thought they used the design quarterback run a little too much. He ran the ball 15 times last night, which it was all going through Jalen Hurts. He had more on his shoulders last night than Mahomes did, quite frankly, because of Isaiah Pacheco, you had Jarek McKinnon. You had guys in that offense for Kansas City that did more. But Jalen Hurts didn't have as much help. He had to run the He ran three touchdowns. Hit A.J. Brown for another. How about three for three on fourth down? How about him keeping keeping the, uh, the Eagles on the field? In the first half, the Eagles had the ball for 22 minutes to Kansas City's eight. He chipped, he chewed the clock, he chewed the clock. Kansas City had the ball for a minute and 10 seconds in the second quarter. That's hurts. He did that from... Throwing the football predominantly. Short passes to Devontae Smith, finding A.J. Brown down the field. Dallas Goddard making incredible catches. 
You had Dallas Goddard, Travis Kelsey last night, two of the best tight ends in football, and they both played really well. So that's the thing about sports. There's a winner and a loser, and oftentimes in these big games, one guy just plays so great, and the other you can clearly tell is a second fiddle. Jalen Hurts is right there at Mahomes last night. He he played just as good of a game, in my opinion. He didn't make the one mistake he made that Mahomes didn't was that fumble. He had the ball, it was a third down, and he lost control of the football. Lost control of the football, gets picked up by Nick Bolton, touchdown. Because Mahomes didn't have a turnover last night, Hurts had one. That can be the difference. That That's the difference in the football game. Oh, Kansas City also missed a field goal, which is a whole other story. But 10 incompletions. He didn't panic. When he had nothing there, he would throw the ball away. Never threw a pass that I really thought was going to be intercepted that was that risky. And you look at this. He threw for 304 yards last night. He's not a guy who throws for 300 yards. That's not the way he plays. He had 304 yards passing, 70 yards rushing, and three touchdowns. The rest of the team ran the ball 17 times for 40 yards. Between Kenneth Gainwell, Miles Sanders, and Boston Scott. Look, Devontae Smith had exactly 100 yards receiving. A.J. Brown had 96. Dallas Goddard at 60. He distributed the football. He made good decisions. And in the end, Mahomes had the ball last, and it's what made the difference. Mahomes found a way. He Yes, he got a flag. Yes, this happened. But he also, in that second half, just had clutch, clutch drives and made something happen. The Chiefs didn't have a three and out in the second half. They had a great punt return. The Eagles didn't get something like that on special teams. They didn't get a break. What Jalen Hurts has done, he's put himself in that conversation with Joe Burrow, with Josh Allen, as you know, number two to five quarterbacks. Number one is decided. We we know that. It was the guy who won the Super Bowl. You got Joe Burrow. You got Josh Allen, who I, I think I think Jalen Hurts is a better quarterback than Josh Allen. Just for me, the Buffalo Bills have always been a little bit overhyped. Bills Mafia, I get it. People love the Bills. You want to root for them. They're, they're like the least. They're kind of sad sacky. They never win anything, so people root for them. But Jalen Hurts got his team to a Super Bowl. Josh Allen's never got his team to his AFC Championship game. Josh Allen got smoked in the playoffs. The Eagles dominated every game until they got to the Super Bowl, and they lost by three points to the Kansas City damn Chiefs. But after every season, the odds come out right after the game, who's favored to win the Super Bowl the next year. And The opening odds are the Chiefs are the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Now, these could change before the start of next season because you still got free agency. you still got possible trades. A lot of things can happen. Tom Brady's gone for the Eagles. Jalen Hurts is still under a rookie contract, so you can still make this team very good. A.J. Brown will be back. Devontae Smith will be back. Dallas Goddard will be back. The offensive line, 
a big question mark. Does Jason Kelsey return? He's destined for the Hall of Fame. He had a phenomenal season, but he's 35 years old. Does he want to keep playing? Lane Johnson had a tough year physically, was as dominant as he ever was, but he continues to pile on injuries. Does he want to continue to play football? An all-pro at center, an all-pro at life at right tackle. Those two things can make a massive difference on your team and where you go. They still got good draft capital. And I credit Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Loria, the owner of the Eagles, for what they did this year. They saw how good their team was. They traded for A.J. Brown at the draft and then signed him. They drafted Jordan Davis out of Georgia. They went and traded for C.J. Gardner-Johnson just before the start of the season from the New Orleans Saints, who had a great game last night. They made moves to get themselves in this position. And I still think they're going to be a very good team, but year-to-year things change. Losing this game can hurt this team. They won in 2017. They did make the playoffs the next year. Carson Wentz got hurt again. Nick Foles was back in at the quarterback in the playoffs, and things were never the same until this season for Philly. The positive thing for them right now, the NFC is very unknown. Tom Brady's out of it. The New York Giants, no matter what they do this offseason, I don't see a world where they're better than the Philadelphia Eagles going into next season. The Dallas Cowboys will remain a threat in the NFC East. They got a new play caller and Mike McCarthy. How does that work out? But the Cowboys are still going to be a very good team. You got the, the San Francisco 49ers. What do they do? How do they improve their roster? They're always there. They're always consistent. Can the Rams rebound from a disastrous season this year? Every year, there are at least three teams seemingly in each conference that made the playoffs one year and don't make it the next. And the Eagles on paper do not look like a team that will be that. But again, things happen. The Carolina Panthers made it to the Super Bowl in 2015. They missed the playoffs in 2016. The Rams made this Super Bowl in 2018. They missed the playoffs in 2019. And then Jared Goff was traded for Matthew Stafford. Stuff happens. Organizations change. So there's not doom and gloom on the Eagles. We did so well to get to this point. How can you get back? How can you raise your level again and get back to this point next year? You're in the easier conference, but it doesn't change the fact that you got to the big game and you lost it. You didn't find a way to win. Not to mention, their offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, is departing the team. He's on a bird to Indianapolis, and he's going to be named the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts today. He took the job. There's no longer Jeff Saturday in Indy. As they head into an interesting offseason, they have their coach. Shane Steichen, who I thought had a pretty good game plan last night, seemed to have a, a good thing going with Nick Sirianni. We'll look to the future. 
likely have a rookie quarterback in Indianapolis to pair with next year. How that goes, we, that remains to be seen. But you lose a coordinator, that means Jalen Hurts will likely have a new offense next year. Somebody new will be brought in. They might hire somebody internally to work with this group after you get to a Super Bowl. But this happens. You get this far into the season, your roster's gutted. Your roster and your and your coaches, you, you, you get – you're hurt because of this. This might happen to Kansas City. Eric Bieniemy might take the Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator job. He might take the Washington football team offensive coordinator job just to – differentiate himself from from Andy Reid and, and see if he can get a, a head coaching job around the league because he hasn't been able to get one the last number of years. I do find it interesting from the Colts, quickly here, that they're deciding to go with Shane Steichen. When they brought in Jeff Saturday midseason, it looked like Jeff Saturday was going to be the coach of the future. Jim Mercer ultimately changes his mind, and he's the owner. He has the right to do that. But I'm sure I don't know how Jeff Saturday's feeling right now. You thought you had the job long term, and now Shane Steichen's coming in. What do you waddle back to ESPN, the mothership, and take the job there again? What does this do to your coaching future? I don't know, but it doesn't look great, frankly, for for Jeff Saturday. Colts currently have the fourth pick in the draft. I could see them trading up to number one with the Chicago Bears, who don't need a quarterback. That's my early projection, is that the Colts find a way to move up to one and draft first overall, likely take Bryce Young. And Shane Steichen's working with another Alabama quarterback next year. Jalen Hurts started his career at Alabama, then moved to Oklahoma. Bryce Young has been the quarterback at Alabama the last three years. That could be what Shane Steichen's looking at. But Jalen Hurts has nothing to be ashamed of. His strength, his perseverance last night, he played an awesome, awesome game. And ultimately, his defense let him down. The defense gave up 38 points. The defense didn't make adjustments. The defense didn't get to the quarterback. Eagles offensive line only gave up one sack, and it was a bit of a ticky-tack sack. Jalen Hurts was scrambling to the outside. He got pushed out a yard before he got back to the line of scrimmage. But nothing in the pocket, nothing like that from either team. Or I think the over-under was five and a half sacks last night for both teams. Oof. If you took the over there, you're hurting. Because that prop definitely did not hit. But all in all, I thought that was a very, very good Super Bowl. And we talked about this on Wednesday night as well. I think the past number of Super Bowls have been all very good. Last night's game was phenomenal. You have a shootout. I prefer a low-scoring game, more of a low-scoring game. But both quarterbacks were phenomenal. You saw great coaching, great play calling on both sides. I can appreciate that. Just some really smart things from both head coaches, smart things from both quarterbacks. I thought, not to, uh, not to mention that, but you look at lately, that Rams-Patriots game, some people thought it was a dud. I liked it. The Chiefs Super Bowl against San Francisco was very good. The Chiefs Super Bowl against Tampa was really was over at halftime, so that game wasn't exactly phenomenal. The Rams Super Bowl was very close. against That came down to the last play against Cincinnati, so that was a good one. So I think we've had a good run of Super Bowls here.
say four of the last five were very good games, and last night was another awesome game. And I don't know about everybody else, but I also thought the halftime show was pretty good. I this is what I'll say. I'm I'm a music person that enjoys the old music. I enjoy Fleetwood Mac. I like Def Leppard. I I don't listen to a lot of current crap, and I call it crap because I think a lot of it is. And you see on the commercials, I know that Jack Harlow from that one song, but his song is basically somebody else voicing it the whole time, and he comes in and says about five words. I could have written the song. It's that creative. And he was in the Doritos commercials, and I'm sure he'll be doing a Super Bowl here sometime soon, much to my chagrin. But you look around, Rihanna's a big star. Rihanna is a great businesswoman. I think she's somebody everybody can look up to. And a positive, I knew every one of her songs. I knew them all. I'm not the biggest Rihanna fan. I don't know her whole catalog, but I knew every song she played last night. I thought the the stage was cool. I don't know why her performers had to dress up in gimp outfits. That was a bit perplexing. But, you know, I didn't know she was pregnant, so I learned that last night. So she's pregnant, and she was at the Super Bowl. I think that's a first. Performing, I mean. I'm sure there's been pregnant women at Super Bowls before. She's performing pregnant. I thought the, the background was cool, gimp outfits, whatever you're going to do with that. But I knew every one of her songs. She was actually singing, which I was worried about at the beginning because it seemed to be a lot of voiceover. But she's, she hasn't performed in four years. Didn't know that either. She's 34 now, which is crazy. She's 10 years older than me. I guess she already has another kid. I, I Wikipedia that last night too, which didn't know. So she's having her second child, performed at the Super Bowl. I knew every one of her songs. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I don't need, again, I, I know that stuff. Bruno Mars twice was uh, too much. Bruno Mars, one is more than enough. Adam Levine, that's fine, you know. Maroon 5, or whatever his band is. But I think we're going to have a new wave of music here soon. Like, I'm sure... Jack Harlow, maybe that is Luke Bryan or Zach Bryan, whoever, you know, he'll be playing soon enough, which, ugh. but I'm cool with Rihanna. She's a star. You got to think about majority of your audience. I knew every song. She did it well. It wasn't overly extravagant, which I like too. So, the game was fantastic. I thought the halftime show was good. The only thing that lacked last night was the commercials. Commercials sucked. Commercials were trash. I mentioned one of the top commercials was the Jack Harlow Doritos one. And uh, I don't I don't get it. I didn't find it funny. I didn't find it interesting. He's playing the circle. Okay. The Breaking Bad popcorners, that was fine. Not great, not bad. It was good. It was Breaking Bad. Pun intended. It was good. That was fine. The Ben, the ben Affleck one was the best one of the night. Dunkin' Donuts, Ben, Baffle, uh, ben Affleck, and, uh, and J-Lo. I like that one. Casey Affleck was in a great SNL skit. 
back in the day about Dunkin' Donuts. It's very hilarious. If you haven't seen it, YouTube it. Worth the watch. So I, I like the humor in that one. And Ben Affleck, as he ages, whenever he does anything, just looks more and more like he hates it, which I understand because I hate doing most things. Even though he's a lot older than me, and I probably should have a more positive attitude than Ben Affleck. But maybe he should be more positive. He's dating J-Lo. I'm not. Stuck here in a room by myself. He's Cheer up, Ben Affleck. That was the my favorite, the best commercial to me. There's no Jason Bateman commercial like a few years ago. Where he had that fun one with a uh, car company where he was a elevator operator. I enjoyed that one a number of years back. But Steve Martin one was fine with Pepsi. Steve Martin looks good for his age. I'll point that out. It looks, looks spry. Good for Steve Martin. But commercials were pretty bad. That was the one thing that with the with the whole night. Game, A+. Halftime show, A, A- for me. Commercials, D. Fail. Fail all around. I don't want to go buy that product. What was Jack Harlow even selling Doritos? I'm not going to buy Doritos because Jack Harlow wanted to play the triangles. That's why I have to go buy a bag of Doritos. He doesn't play an instrument to begin with when he performs. So you, you wouldn't even know how to play that fucking triangle. It's just lackluster stuff. They're making another Indiana Jones movie. I mean, who doesn't love Harrison Ford? I mean, he's great. You know, he's Han Solo. He's Indiana Jones. He's a Hollywood legend. But did we need Harrison Ford making another Indiana Jones at 80 years old or however old he is? And you have Mods Mickelson, who's a good actor I saw in the movie, but I don't know. Indiana Jones felt a bit played out for me. Felt a bit 25 years ago. I mean, the lack of creativity in movies in Hollywood right now. They're making a 10th Fast and Furious movie. The last six have been shit. So maybe they're bad commercials. It's bad thinking because people just will buy it no matter what. It doesn't have to be a smart sales. You don't have to be good at sales anymore because people are just going to buy it regardless. I mean, back in the day, those Jehovah's Witnesses had to come to your door and sell it. You had to you had to get those Bibles. You had to buy in because you just wanted them to leave. They wore you down. These sales people now, we want a bag of Doritos. Okay, let's go get it. Jack Carlo can sit there and play his vite, play his triangle with Elton John getting thrown in the commercial. Ugh. We don't care anymore. We just buy it. We as consumers are just weak, weak people. We should be ashamed of ourselves as consumers. I mean, I, I, I'm proud of myself today. I, bu I booked a hotel room for this weekend. I went through my dad back channel. Marriott member. I'm not paying full price when they don't have to. You know why? They sold them. I'm becoming a, a member. They have it me because I'm too cheap. But I go to a family member that I can, you know I can get a cheaper rate. 
using my head. No, let's just buy a bag of Doritos because we want one. Let's not make them sell it. I'd rather buy a bag of popcorners. You know why? Because the Aaron Paul and Tuco and and Brian Cranston sold me on it. Sold me on the product. Seems pretty good. Five, six flavors, popcorners. Maybe I'm being too harsh. I don't think so. But the commercials were bad. They just were. Nothing appealing about them. Good for good for Harrison Ford for filming a movie at what eighty years old, however old he is, Indiana Jones movie. I'll give him credit for that. But do I think we needed it? No. Did we need four seasons of Prison Break? No. So sometimes you just get stuff you don't need. And that's okay. I guess. But all in all, the Super Bowl is a big event. It happens every year. You get hyped up for it. And last night it lived up to the hype. Good halftime show. Awesome game. And I enjoyed every second of it. And I am on my countdown until September 7th, Thursday night, when the 2023-2024 season begins. And Adam Schefter pointed this out on Twitter last night. The Eagles and Chiefs are scheduled to play each other next year, so the NFL could start next season with the Eagles versus Chiefs Super Bowl rematch, which this guy would be fine with. Or maybe you go Eagles Raiders because the Super Bowl is in Vegas. Another, just a thought. Super Bowl in Vegas next year. Ugh. LA, Vegas, Miami. That's it. Those four. Nowhere else. I'm not going to Indianapolis. Okay, they got a dome. It's freezing there. Let the final four go there in April. Those four. That's it. They'll never go to New York again. No dome. Those four cities. Houston, maybe. Dallas. Okay. The Cowboys will never be in a Super Bowl, so I guess you got to have one there just to appease the fan base, but... Great football season. There will be news, as I mentioned. Derek Carr has asked for his release because he does not want to go to the New Orleans Saints. When he met with them last week, they did not come to an agreement. So, so he'll be moving on from the Raiders. He'll be able to test the market and go wherever he wants. So he'll be on the move. Shane Steichen is, new, is the new head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. The Arizona Cardinals still need to fill their head coaching vacancy. Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator for the Eagles, is interviewing for that job today. So still a head coach. Still, we have over, a little over a month before NFL free agency opens. We'll have a parade this week. So NFL is not going anywhere for sure. But no games. We've got the XFL starting this weekend. So football's not gone. Just a little more on the back burner. But before we get off football for the weekend, 
I didn't get to a show Friday, but I wanted to touch on this. I love the Hall of Fame class this year. I think every person going in is deserving, and I'm really excited for this class. Three times I said that in this podcast. I hate that word. I'm happy for every member of this Hall of Fame class this season. And the Hall of Fame class is as follows. Joe Thomas, who's a first ballot, no doubt about it, 10 Pro Bowls, six-time first-team All-Pro, and I, I would argue the best left tackle of my lifetime. Played for the Cleveland Browns, unfortunately. Never played in a playoff game. He had started for nine straight years without missing a game. Every snap, every game. He went up against the best pass rushers in the league. James Harrison, the the great Steelers guys. I mean, the Ravens teams with their pass rushers like Terrell Suggs and their greats that they had. And he was as equal to the task. You're a sixth time first team all pro that's hall of fame this was a lock easy another uh first ballot Darrell Revis. Darrell Revis is a three-time first team all pro the reason he's not more than the three-time first team all pro is because the opposing team's quarterback refused to throw it in his direction Darrell Revis was so good at corner there was a, a moniker labeled Revis island where you put a receiver was put on Darrell Revis and they would never get the ball. The quarterback refused to throw it that way because he would intercept it or just wouldn't be completed. One of the best lockdown corners of his generation, play with the Jets, then went in 2014, went over to New England in free agency, won a Super Bowl there. Just a phenomenal talent, a phenomenal athlete, and I completely agree on the on the first ballot. DeMarcus Ware, four-time first-team All-Pro, played for the Cowboys for a long time, then went to Denver in 2014. He had 138 and a half career sacks. He, DeMarcus Ware was always seen as a number two, but in Dallas, he was a, a pro bowler many, many years. He dominated there. He just didn't win because he was on those Cowboys teams with Tony Romo. They got close at certain points, but DeMarcus Ware – always was productive. He just, he balled out all the time in Denver. He paired up with Von Miller and that season they wreaked havoc. He could have played more football, but he decided to go out and top decided to retire as a Super Bowl champion, which you can't blame him. He was on that Peyton Manning team where that defense was so great for, for Denver and they nearly killed Tom Brady in the AFC championship game. DeMarcus Ware, very deserving. Rondé Barber, remember Rondé and Tiki Barber? Rondé was by far the better of the, of the, of the twins, but, but Rondé was, again, five-time first-team All-Pro. For a long period of time, the best player at his position. He just didn't seem to make many mistakes in games. He'd close off angles. And again, a really good family. You hear the name, you you think of football, happy for Rondé. And this name brings me back to my childhood. And this game, this name made me smile when I saw it. And that was Zach Thomas. As a kid, I was a Miami Dolphins fan. And I used to hear from, you know, my parents and just people that love football. 
about Dan Marino when it came to the Dolphins. Maybe Larry Zonka, because he was on that undefeated 73 team. But even that 73 team, my dad was only six years old when that team won the Super Bowl, so he didn't really remember that team. But I thought of three players. Dan Marino, Jason Taylor, because he was so good, and my mom always thought he was really handsome, which she's not wrong, and Zach Thomas. Zach Thomas was one of the smartest defensive players to ever play the game. And you know who admitted this? Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning said, and this is one of the best things you could say about a person. He said he was smarter than me on the football team. He, on, on the football field, he knew what I was going to do. He knew different plays and I was going to change a play. He knew and he, he reacted before I did. Zach Thomas's football IQ is through the roof. And he was just a phenomenal player. Miami Dolphins royalty. And he waited a decade to get into the Hall of Fame. It just makes me think back to those Dolphins teams where he was really on really bad teams, similar to Joe Thomas, where you don't have a chance in hell of winning. You got a quarterback that probably came from Wyoming that you've never heard of. You're drafting a new player every year, and your team's not going to get there. But you continue to fight. You continue to put up great numbers. Your defense is solid every year that you're with the team. And Zach Thomas is a Miami Dolphin in and out. He battled hard, and he deserved this distinction. He deserved to get into the Hall of Fame, and I'm happy for Zach because I'm thinking back to younger Noah when I was a Dolphins fan, and Zach Thomas was, pe was one of the people you hear of. When I think of, you know, when I was a kid, my favorite Miami Dolphins, and even growing up, Cameron Wake because Cameron Wake was always a good player coming from the CFL as well, and just his improbable run to getting to the NFL. He had a really good career. They never had a, a great quarterback in my, you know, the lifetime of me being a fan of the Dolphins. Jason Taylor, briefly, I think of, I think of Cameron Wake. Hmm. Jarvis Landry had a number of good years for the Miami Dolphins, but. Zach Thomas is another one of those guys I feel he deserves to be in the Hall. He waited for a long time, but I'm happy he got in. So I think Jared Allen will get in the next couple of years. He's another guy that is very much a Hall of Famer. He didn't get in this time, but a great pass rusher for the Minnesota Vikings, for the Kansas City Chiefs. So we'll wait to see what happens with Jared Allen. But I'm happy to see Zach Thomas, Joe Thomas, Rondé Barber, Darrell Rivas, and a plethora of others, builders and things like that, get into the Hall of Fame, and they'll be inducted in the first weekend of August in Canton in the Hall of Fame game. So congratulations to all those great players for what they accomplished during their career. Let's pivot to fighting. Because Saturday night we had a pay-per-view in UFC that I went in thinking – not much of. I love the main event. I was stoked for the main event. But the rest of the card didn't have a whole lot of big names on it. The rest of the card did not have much of, of an intrigue. Not to mention that Dana White did a horrible job of selling this pay-per-view. He forgot Islam Mahachev's name when he was promoting the fight two weekends ago. 
And he downplayed that. He said that he was selling the fight. And he Dana White will never admit when he's wrong, and he's wrong an awful lot. But I, I leave UFC 284, and I think the product was very good, despite of White and his actions. I look at the event in totality. The main card started with a banger with Jimmy Crute, who had been out for a number who had been out for a year, fighting Alonzo Merrifield. And this was a crazy fight. In the first round, Jimmy Crute's got Alonzo Merrifield on the ground for the majority of it. He looks like he's gonna submit him. He looks like he's gonna finish the fight. He was came out guns a blazing. But through all of this, he was completely gassed. He had nothing left in the tank. And Alonzo Merrifield hit two big right shots on Crude. His back is up against the cage. He's taking shot after shot, but he survives the round because the bell goes. Begin the second round. He's clearly not ready to, to fight yet, but he, can, he fights his way through it. Then at, throughout the second round, Merrifield, who's a big, you know, ripped guy, but again, he's heavier, starts to, starts to wear out. Crute then nearly submits Merrifield at the end of the second round, but he runs out of time. We go to a third round. They exchange big shots in the third round, and it was very, very close. And I'll be honest, I think I thought Jimmy Crute won the fight. I thought he did enough to win. We go to the judges' scorecards. I'm not surprised to see this happen because I think just the MMA judges right now are at an all-time low. There's just there's no trust between the fans. No trust with the fans, no trust with the fighters that they're going to do a good job at judging these fights. And they rule it at majority draw. I thought it was a really good fight. I hated that it was a, they ruled it a majority draw. I thought Jimmy Crute narrowly won it. But again, they sit, the two guys say they want to run it back. I don't think that's going to happen. The UFC rarely does this. And in particular, when it's not a, a big fight where it has you know, a massive ending and the two guys can sell it. This had a, this had some popularity because he was in Australia, Jimmy Crute from Australia. I don't know if that happens, but it was a great way to start the main card. Second fight, Justin Toffa knocks out Parker Porter in just over a minute. These two guys are not pay-per-view fighters. They're two heavyweights that haven't won a whole lot. They don't deserve to be on the stage. But again, they didn't book a great card. Justin Toffa's from Australia, so you put it on it. He knocks out Parker Porter. He gets a great cheer from the crowd. But again, he can't sell a fight. Not exactly great. Third fight on the card. Jack Della Maddalena, who's one of the funnest welterweights in the world right now, is fighting Randy Rude Boy Brown. And... Jack is a rising star in the MMA world, and he showed it off this weekend. He just can close off angles so well. He eliminates threats from his opponents, and he can strike at any time. He hits a big shot, dropped Randy Brown, then hops hops on top of him, rolls him over in an incredible sequence, and he submits him three minutes into the first round with the rear naked choke. He gets a quick one. He's won eight fights in a row. He's he's going to be ranked in, in the welterweight rankings now. And 
you know, he's a guy that everybody's got to look out for because he can win in a majority of different ways. He doesn't make many mistakes. But I, I loved it. I, I This guy is very much a a rising star and he'll his next fight will be another big one but he he delivers then we get to the co-main event which was the for the interim featherweight championship between Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett this was a fight you put on the card but I thought it was an easy pick Yair, Yair Rodriguez he's such an unorthodox fighter he can hit you with body kicks. He will throw knees. He's a good striker. He's just, he's a tough guy to match up with because he, he can strike in so many different ways. And, you know, he just beat the hell out of Josh Emmett in this fight. He ultimately submits him, but Josh Emmett just couldn't figure out a way to deal with him. Yair Rodriguez wins the fight in the second round. And he is now the interim featherweight champion alongside Alexander Volkanovsky, and the two will likely fight in the coming months. But I think that'll be a tricky matchup because I think he is a good fighter. I think he, he makes it difficult on opponents. And it's a big moment for him. It is an interim belt, but he wins a main event, a, you know, a co-main event in Australia, and he puts himself in the title conversation. So... Big win. This probably it for Josh Emmett. He's 37 years old. To think he's going to get back up to the top of the mountain is unlikely at this point of his career. He had his big opportunity, and ultimately it didn't work out for him. And this is where we get to the main event between the featherweight champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, who is moving up in weight to face the lightweight champion of the world, Islam Makachev. And this was hyped as one of the biggest fights in the promotion's history, which I agreed with, not by Dana White. But you have Volkanovski, who's never lost in the UFC. You have Makachev, who's lost once, but he's just coming off a win over Charles Oliveira, who had beaten Michael Chandler, who had beaten Dustin Poirier, who had beaten, you know, he'd beaten Tony Ferguson when Tony Ferguson was still kind of in his prime there, dominated him. Charles Oliveira was going through everybody, beating Justin Gaethje. So two pound-for-pound number one and number two fighters in the world. And I left this fight believing that the ref, the judges got this right because Islam Makachev retained his title via unanimous decision. To me, he won round one, he won round two, and he won round four. Round four, he had Volkanovski on the ground the entire time. Rounds one and two, he did a mix of getting him to the ground with takedowns. He also landed some bigger shots in those two rounds than Volk. And I look at Islam, I think he's an underrated striker. I, I pointed this out before the fight. I think he's a better striker than his mentor, Habib Nurmagomedov, because Habib was going to beat people with, with submissions. I think Islam is going to be able to knock more and more people out as he continues to get better as he continues to have these big fault big fights under his belt i mean he's beaten charles he's beaten alexander volkanovsky now this is not a fluke 
But Volkanovski moved up in weight, which is a really hard thing to do. And he was never really in a position to lose this fight via decision. Islam had him down, but he never had a great opportunity to submit him. He fought valiantly. He did not give up. He, he avoided takedowns. He avoided submissions. He's incredibly, incredibly strong. And I left thinking he's got some of the best cardio in the history of the sport. And he went into that fifth round likely knowing that he was down. And he gave it everything he had. In the fifth round, he hit Makachev with a huge shot. And it dropped him. But he couldn't do enough to, to get him over. To me, you have a champion. He wins three of the five rounds. He is going to retain the belt. But Volk, you know, he's a huge underdog coming into this fight. And he was amazing. I'm leaving this saying I would love a rematch. I would love a rematch because I think Islam probably doesn't believe he had his best performance. I'm sure Volk, I know he's on the MMA hour today, so I can't wait to listen to his interview. I don't, I'm sure he believes he didn't have his best performance. He would love to fight him again and believes that he can beat him, which I don't blame him. But it was it was great theater. It was a just a, a war to the end. A complete mix of styles where Islam wants to get you down to the mat where he can submit you, he can beat the hell out of you. And is is and Volk wants to stay on his feet, he wants to strike because that's where he lives and dies. He's so he's so crafty on his feet, he moves so well, makes it very difficult on opponents. But incredibly fun, incredibly fun fight. I believe the judges got it right. But again, Volk can go down to featherweight and fight Yair, Yair Rodriguez, which he'll have to because Yair just became the interim featherweight champion of the world. For Islam, I'm not sure he has a definitive next opponent yet. There's rumors that Charles Oliveira, who lost the title in October, will be fighting against Benil Dariush later in 2023, maybe May at that pay-per-view that's still yet to be named and the location is TBD. That potentially could be a number one contenders fight. Does Dustin Poirier come back and he wants a shot at Islam? Justin Gaethje and Rafael Faziv fight at UFC 286 in mid-March in London. Gaethje wins that fight. Maybe he puts himself back into the title picture. So I think it's up in the air who would get the next shot at Islam. Volk wants to stay active. I think the UFC might ask him to relinquish that featherweight title if he wants to fight Islam again. But if he thinks he can go in and beat him, maybe he consider it. I think whoever Charles fights next, I think if Charles fights Benil Dariush, I think he'll beat him. Because I think Charles is, is so talented. He's so good. Such a versatile fighter. So I think the, 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 the easy answer is that Islam will fight Charles for a second time later in 2023. Maybe, say, September. They always have a, a pay-per-view in early September. Maybe 
just prior to the NFL season kicking off, you have Islam versus Charles headline a pay-per-view almost a year after they fought the, the first time. That's a possibility. But the white lightweight division is very open. I don't think there is a set standard of who's getting the next title shot. So there, there are endless possibilities. You know Yair is going to fight Volk. And if Volk was to lead the featherweight division, it makes it incredibly more compelling because you have Arnold Allen fighting Max Holloway in mid-April. That could be a number one contenders fight. They fight Yair for, for the championship. Now, I don't think Volk is going to want to leave the featherweight division. He's owned it forever. He's had that title. Nobody's even come close to beating him. So we'll see. We'll see. But a surprisingly very good pay-per-view this weekend. A lot of entertaining fights. This coming weekend, there's some more fun in the UFC where initially it was supposed to be Tyler Santos and Aaron Blanchfield fighting in, in a matchup that could very well be a number one contenders fight. Tyler Santos fought for, for the title last year against Val- Valentina Shevchenko, and she lost narrowly. I thought she won the fight, but she's out with an injury, and it was announced Saturday night that Jessica Andrade who just fought in Brazil in Rio de Janeiro in January is going to step in and fight Aaron Blanchfield. Aaron Blanchfield has been on a hot streak of late. They are going to do battle in the main event this coming Saturday. So unfortunately this fights at the apex, no crowd, the apex sucks, but that should be a great five round tilt between these two ladies. It's good to see two women headline an event because this fight is absolutely a main event type fight. I think the winner should get Santos. Again, injuries happen, but Andrade just beat Lauren Murphy, has beaten Holly Holm, has beaten some big fighters. Rose Namajunas is nowhere to be seen. She wins this fight. She should get John Wei Lee. She should get whoever she wants. If Andrade wins this fight, or if Blanchfield can pull off a major upset, in my opinion, both women should be in consideration for the title. So that's this coming weekend. We'll talk about that more later in the week. But UFC 284 was phenomenal this weekend. Waste management. The waste management in Arizona was great. You had a Saturday that was a back and forth between Scotty Scheffler and John Rom where birdies were very hard to come by. Tough greens, and both men struggled to really find their game at certain points. But they left the day's stroke within each other. And you look at yesterday, and Scotty Scheffler won his second straight waste management trophy, back-to-back seasons. And this is where he started his run last year, where he won four of his next six tournaments, including the Masters. He won the Players. And to me, Scotty Scheffler is such a clutch putter. He doesn't show a lot of emotion, but he did on 16, where he hit that birdie. It was good to see from him give a huge fist pump. Because, you know, John Rahm is a polar opposite, where I think the three best golfers in the world right now are Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, and Rory McIlroy. John Rahm's a fiery personality. He gets aggravated. He will show his emotion throughout the entire round where Scotty Scheffler is just so stoic. 
But Scotty Scheffler is so such a great golfer. To me, it's because he is the best at recovering in the game. And what I mean by that is he might have a tee shot that is comp- that's horrible. It's off, it's off the green. It seems to be in the trees. And you're like, oh, my God, this is going to be a, a bogey hole for Scotty Scheffler. And for most players, it would be. But Scotty Scheffler will find a way to put that five feet away from the, from the cup, and he'll tap it in for birdie. I think at about the, the third hole is a par five at the waste management. He sculled it. And then he hit it into a bunker. But he chipped it out of the bunker, and again, it was five feet away. He tapped it in for birdie. How about on 15, he hits an eagle. In the big moments, Scotty Scheffler just, he finds a way to recover. He finds a way to be in a bad position and then be in a great position all in one motion. Just tee to green, this guy is so damn confident and dominant. And you look at that putting stroke and you know it's going in before he hits, before he hits it. John Rahm went minus three yesterday. Not a not an awful day, but not a great day either. Scotty Scheffler goes six under par to win the tournament. Went six went eight under par on Saturday. That's how you win these events. Another good story, Nick Taylor, who's ranked 233 in the world, Canadian, finishes second at the waste management, went six under on a Sunday as well to match Scotty Scheffler, but he just missed a few putts. Had a few more bogeys that he missed, but no Shane and Nick Taylor. He was in the fight the whole way, and he was playing in the final group with arguably two of the three best golfers in the world, and he had a better day than John Rahm. We get Scotty Scheffler, Nick Taylor, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, who, had, who shot six under on a Sunday because he always seems to do that even when he's out of contention. Moves into fourth in the winnings, so good for JT. And fifth was Jason Day, and Jason Day is back. This man had back troubles for the last number of years, and he was out of it. He was nowhere to be seen. He wasn't playing good golf. But Jason Day is absolutely back. He looks confident. He's making good putts. He's putting himself in good positions. I love what Jason Day is doing, and it's awesome to see. He's making big pots. He's starting to find that strokey, and he can't bomb it like he used to. But he's going to be in the FedEx Cup standings the whole year. He's going to be in and around it. And he's played in three of the last four weeks, and he's finished in the top ten in every tournament. So it's good to see Jason Day rebound. It's good to see Ricky Fowler start to find his game. He had a big moment yesterday getting an ace on seven on the the hole-in-one. But it's starting to heat up, you know, the PGA Tour. Because you had an elevated event this week where 24 of the top 25 golfers in the world competed. Next week, 23 of the top 25 will be at the Genesis. Not to mention Tiger Woods on Instagram on Friday announced that he will be returning to the Tour Thursday. He is in the field this weekend, his first tournament since the U.S. Open in July. Sorry, the British Open in July. So he will return to the PGA. He only played three times last year, all at majors. We had not heard much from him, but he'll be playing at his event 
which will be must-see TV because people just love to see Tiger. And you pair that with, you have 23 of the top 25 golfers in the world going to the Genesis, another elevated event. I mean, Nick Taylor made $2 million yesterday to come in second. Over $2 million, and he finished second at the Waste Management. That's a huge payday for Nick. A massive moment for him to finish to finish second and have that kind of winning, you know, life-changing type performance. He's won twice in the PGA Tour. Pebble back in 2017, he won in 2014. So it's been a minute since he won an event. But even now with the Live Tour, poaching people, and all the money that's on that tour, it's more money going into the PGA Tour event you know, for these players, which I'm happy to see because they deserve it. They're the ones grinding it out every week. They're the ones with the travel and everything that comes with it. But the Genesis is a great, a great field, another great track as well. Then in a couple weeks in the middle of March, you have the Players' Championship, which is the fifth major. That's an elevated event. So you'll have another great field there. Then you have the Countdown to the Masters, and that's the full first full weekend in April. So it's a great time for golf, I will say that. With the NFL winding down, thank God for it. That's all I did Saturday afternoon. College basketball is heating up, too. Purdue lost again to unranked Northwestern. Oof. I like Alabama. Alabama's good in football. They're a good, they're a good basketball school now, too. They're now number one team in the nation. Alabama Crimson Tide. But you got Purdue. It's there's some there's some schools still trying to figure themselves out in college basketball. Houston Cougars just kind of win games. You never hear about them, which is a good thing for them. UCLA is just kind of lurking. They play out west. You don't hear about them. But a couple weeks in college basketball, we'll have the conference tournaments. Before you know it, about a little more than a week, a month and a week, we'll have March Madness to talk about, which we'll have Matt Wright back on for that. We'll dive right into that. But Purdue was dominant. Now they're number three. The Houston Cougars, number two. Alabama's and Alabama Crimson Tide. Number one in the nation. Tennessee has lost back-to-back games. At buzzer beaters lost to lose the they lost to Vandy this weekend. Vanderbilt at the buzzer. Oof. Kansas is good. Iowa State's pretty good. Baylor's starting to find their way. TCU. A lot of good basketball schools in the Big Twelve. St. Mary's beat Gonzaga last weekend. They're ranked. As sad as it is that that football is ending, we do have a lot of sports. And there's always something happening. The NBA, the All-Star break this week, Sheamus will give that update tomorrow. I'm going to quiz Sheamus and ask him to name one person that's in the, that's in the dunk contest. Because I don't think he'll know. Because I don't know right now. i got to do that research tonight because I have no clue. Not a clue in the world. Much to my chagrin this weekend, I, our Timmy Panarin had a four-goal game. Ugh. The kid line in, in New York is really gelling. They're starting to play good hockey. They dumped Carolina in an impressive win. Edmonton Oilers got smoked by the Montreal Canadiens yesterday. More injuries in Vegas, but they keep winning. 
Jakob Peltier scored his first career NHL goal in Buffalo on Sunday on Saturday afternoon, and Dennis Gilbert. Calgary's got Ottawa tonight, and strangely enough, I might watch some of that game. Tomorrow on the show, I want to talk about Jacob Chikrin. Jacob Chikrin is being held out for the remainder of the week because apparently there is trade rumors happening. Twitter erupted because they thought it would be a Toronto Maple Leafs trade. Apparently, they've never been in the mix. That was reported today. The LA Kings might be circling around, which is interesting because I talked last week how they do need defense. I also think they need goalies. They need a goalie upgrade, but they re-signed Phoenix Copley to a one-year contract over the weekend, so maybe he's their guy. They did smoke the Penguins Saturday night. But I want to talk about Jacob Chikrin. Want to, want to get into that story. I'll recap some of the NHL games tonight. When Seamus joins tomorrow, we're going to get into some basketball. Want to get his trade deadline breakdown with him. You know, Kev, we have, I haven't spoken to him live here since the Kevin Durant news, which I'm sure he's got a thought. What, what he thought about his Celtics at the trade deadline, only trading for a backup big. They didn't get Yaka Pirtle. We're going to rank our top five. Eastern Conference and Western Conference teams right now as we head into the All-Star break come Thursday. But again, it's today's, tomorrow's uh, Valentine's Day as well, so it'll be, a, it'll be a love fest between me and Seamus because I do love him, so we want to bring that to the to the table tomorrow. But the, all, the, the NHL trade deadline will be two weeks from Friday. You can believe it. Two weeks from Friday, the NHL trade deadline. Anarchy will ensue. Tonight, let's see what we got in the world of sports. Nets, Brooklyn in the NBA. So Nets and Knicks. It's always fun. See the two New York teams do battle. Flames, Sens. You got Arizona minus Chikrin tonight which they're not that fun to watch with before. But again, they, he might be worth a watch. Do they want to trade some guys? Where does Chikrin end up going? Minnesota's on the ice tonight. I think they got the Panthers tonight. That's not a bad game. Panthers and play the Blues tomorrow. Uh, let's see. What else do we got tonight? We got some decent action tonight. Detroit's in... Detroit's in uh, Vancouver. We got Buffalo and Los Angeles late night. So decent sports night on a Monday. Can't complain. But Super Bowl 57 is in the rear view. Patrick Mahomes is another is a Super Bowl champion once again. To nobody's surprise. Well, maybe most people surprised other than me. But with that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed the the show today. I know I did. It was fun to to go through it all. We'll be back. I'll be back tomorrow. Seamus will be on tomorrow. Ben Murray, who has not been on in a minute, will be on Thursday on the program. So lots happening here on To The Point this week and beyond as we uh, count down to the NHL trade deadline. So have a great night, everybody. Take care. Talk to you soon. This is To The Point.